So page 1046, Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent you too will all perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree, and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, Leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig round it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Thank you, Fiona. Now, there was some good news this week for aviophobes. Anyone know what aviophobes fear? Birds, not quite birds, close. Something else with wings? Flying, flying, flying. 2017 was apparently the safest year ever for air travel. You see that article? Except when you read the article, you realise the general wisdom is that we just got lucky. It's not that planes suddenly got dramatically safer in 2017. No, the voice of expert reason calmly declared, it's just statistics. And 2017 happened to be a good year. Now, that doesn't exactly help you get into a plane in 2018, does it? Um, but actually, there was something else that caught my eye in the article. Just two accidents were recorded in their statistics, and um, one of the two was a small plane in Angola back in October. It wasn't a big plane, just seven people on board, and they all died. But that plane was a medical emergency plane. On board that plane was a pilot was medical staff and there was a patient whose life they were desperately trying to save when the engine lost power and the plane crashed to the ground. So here's my question. Why them? A lot of bad people will have flown in planes in 2017. Drug barons, dictators, human traffickers. Pick your stereotypical evil villain of choice and they've probably been in a plane in 2017. So why did that plane crash? Seemingly good people doing a good thing. You want to ask, well, if, if God is in charge of this earth of his, then why that plane? I'm guessing you've asked yourself that question at some point, maybe not quite that way, but it is one of the big whys in the world in which we live. And it's not a theoretical or intellectual question. It's a deeply personal question. Because my my guess is that there will be a point in your life, it might have already come, you might be right in the middle of it right now, 
But the point will come when you're left asking, why? Why me? Why this hardship? What did I do to deserve this? This is the way Lacey Sturm, Christian singer-songwriter, this is the way she describes the moment for her. Have a watch. My mom always told me about God. I think I had an idea that God was big and good, but as time went on and I saw more and more tragic things happen around me, I think that was the beginning of me just questioning everything about life and about God. When I was 10 years old, my stepdad came to pick me up and he said that my cousin, Kelly, was dead. I remember being so mad and really just just deciding that if God was big and good, why wouldn't he protect my cousin who was so tiny and so awesome, such a funny, brilliant little guy. Why wouldn't God protect him from a huge muscle guy like his stepdad? beat him to death. I remember thinking that same year that my cousin died about the depth of the evil in the world. I never wanted to have kids. It was just a new person to suffer. That was the year I started to cry myself to sleep every night and stopped believing in God. It's a painful question. You'll get that. But it's not a new question. In fact, I love the contemporary nature of our verses tonight. These verses are so relevant for us. You you can picture the scene. Jesus is there. He's teaching the crowds. Some who are listening are, are captivated by the words he's saying. They're profoundly drawn to this man's teaching. Some others were were far more skeptical, even antagonistic. I, I guess we probably cover that spectrum tonight. And as Jesus teaches, the interruption comes. Jesus, did you hear about the poor Galileans? They're just carrying out their sacrifices as Scripture taught them to. But in came the Romans under Pilate's control. And they were murdered right there at the altar. What do you make of that, Jesus? It's a question with quite a punch. I guess the question behind the question is, where was that God of power and love that you're teaching us about, Jesus? Where where was he then? Was this his punishment for the Jews? Jesus' response, have a look down with me. Verse 2 of chapter 13. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Now just pause and notice the significance of those words. Back in 2004, um, you'll probably remember it well, the awful Boxing Day tsunami. And unsurprisingly, religious leaders from around the world were asked to comment on where God was in the tsunami. I went back this week and read some of their answers. There were Buddhist leaders in Sri Lanka. They suggested that we needed to work out which political leader had upset God and why. A Muslim cleric in Saudi Arabia caused outrage by declaring that the tsunami was Allah's punishment for the sexual perversions of the South Asia tourist resorts. A Hindu priest from India, he attributed the disaster to a huge amount of pent-up man-made evil on earth. 
and the Archbishop of Canterbury of the day, he responded that the tsunami should rightly make all Christians wrestle with the existence of God. They're not great answers. Jesus' answer, awful tragedy has just taken place. The question comes in, where where was God in all of that, Jesus? Just capture what Jesus is saying. Verse 2, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Do you hear the breathtaking authority in his answer? This isn't stated as an opinion, but fact. It's not that those Galileans were any more sinful than anyone else. We need to hear that. You see, our implicit religious assumption is that moral behavior and earthly consequences are directly correlated. But Jesus says that is not true. When my cousin was born, he was born with profound cerebral palsy. And Christian friends told my aunt and uncle that God would heal him, that he would heal my cousin if my aunt and uncle confessed all the sin that had led to his sickness. And so my aunt and uncle, they got down on their knees and they confessed every sin they could think of that they had ever committed or might have committed. They were giving it all. And they were heartbroken. And Christopher died. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. I've got to be clear on this. We live in a broken world. We feel a hurt every day. I tell you, no. My sin does not directly correlate with my suffering. It's not always unrelated. One Saturday afternoon when I was growing up, I I looked out of my bedroom window and my brother was sitting on the patio down below, a younger brother, and I thought it would be quite fun to tip a glass of water over his head. So I filled up the glass of water, went to the window, and I just caught it on the window frame. And the glass broke, and I spent the afternoon in A&E getting my hands stitched up. Not always unrelated. In the example here, Pilate, his sin presumably had something to do with the Jews' suffering. But actually, Jesus doesn't angle in on that. And in the next example, he deliberately focuses away from that. Verse 4, all those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. That tower that fell, that's... I guess sort of natural disaster territory, tsunami territory. No no one to blame. Maybe the tower was poorly constructed, sort of building profits put over building safety, but maybe. But actually, you know, sometimes things just happen. The Bible tells us our world is broken. Our sin, your sin and my sin, all our collective sin have led to this world being broken. It's under a curse. And it hurts living in a broken world. So we, we mustn't head down the self-righteous path of thinking, good people, easy life. Bad people, tough life. The homeless man in Fitzroy Street 
How easy to tell yourself as you walk past. Well, I mean, probably his fault. Probably made some bad choices in life and that, that's the result of him being here. It might be true. But I've made bad choices in life. I've made really bad choices in life. Why not me? Jesus' answer, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? And actually, the more guilty there, it's actually greater debtors. Debtors towards God. I found that helpful because the sense here is that we can think that in some way we've got some spiritual reward point system going on. Do good, get good. Do bad, get hurt. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. You won't have missed that repetition in Jesus' answer. Have a look down, don't miss it. Verse 3. I tell you no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. And then second example, natural disaster this time, not man-made horror. And Jesus says, verse 5, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. You can hear, he doesn't want us to miss his point here. The world doesn't operate with a, a reward point system, neat and tidy correlation between your sin and your hurt your good and your blessing. But actually Jesus is saying that doesn't mean suffering is meaningless and pointless. When I was at um, secondary school, I used to catch the bus to school every day, the 291. It was a public bus, um, but the 7.50 a.m. 291 bus was basically packed full of school kids. And it's fair to say we weren't always well-behaved. I mean, obviously I was, but the rest of them sometimes messed around a little. Um, and there was one of the regular bus drivers whose name was Godfrey. And um, Godfrey wasn't having any of this bad behavior on his bus. And so every now and then, if, if raucous behavior broke out of the bucket, back of the bus, Godfrey, as he was driving along, would slam on the brakes. And some poor, unaware school kid who happened to be in the aisle at that time would go flying down the aisle and land in a heap in the middle. And Godfrey would chuckle to himself and everyone would get the message. I don't think you get away with that nowadays. Um, But it worked. Godfrey was reminding us that it was Godfrey's bus, that Godfrey was in charge, that it wasn't safe for us to act as though he wasn't. Now, you can see that's a dangerous illustration on a number of levels. Godfrey was just about the grumpiest man I've ever met. And um, I don't think he was slamming on the brakes for our sake, but for his sake. He really enjoyed it. But actually, we struggle with this. It does parallel with what Jesus is saying here. Great hardship comes, awful hurt in this world. And Jesus says, unless you repent, you too will all perish. He's saying, suffering isn't meaningless and pointless. It has a purpose. A naturalistic worldview has to assume that suffering is meaningless and pointless. Uh, An imperfect world which has come about through a natural process... It's not perfect. Someone's always going to get hurt. That's where you end up. But a supernatural worldview, a worldview that sees a loving creator God behind it all, well, here is that creator God telling us it's not pointless. Your hurt, your pain, I I don't delight in them, but I allow them. I allow them to remind you of eternity. Eternity. 
because I want to keep you safe for eternity. That's the language here. If you ask yourself, what's that word perish? What is he talking about with perish? Because we naturally think of an earthly death. But can you see, he can't be speaking of an earthly death. Repentance will not spare you and I from an earthly death. And perish here is a far stronger word. It speaks of an eternal death. An eternal separation from the source of goodness and life. You see, God, your creator, he longs to spend all eternity with you and with me. No death or mourning or crying or pain then, we're told. Because they've served their purpose. Unless you repent, you too will all perish. Do you hear that? That the brokenness of this world is not meaningless. It's like the lens on the glasses that helps us look to eternity. It's like the battery in the hearing aid which helps us hear our creator God. Or C.S. Lewis, he puts it better than I ever could. It's there on your, your service order. He said, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Now that is a hard truth, isn't it? If you're right in the eye of the storm at the moment, that is a hard, hard truth. But the problem is, we are so caught up in living for today, for the here and now. It feels incomprehensible that God could be loving in making our todays hard so that our tomorrows are wonderful. But that is what Jesus is saying here. Unless you repent, you too will all perish. And Jesus knows what he's talking about. I was very struck this week reading about those 9-11 terrorist attacks. The Sunday after 9-11, people argued that, that those attacks once and for all disproved the existence of God. That, that was the argument in the press. The Sunday after, churches across America were full with people seeking truth. Truth matters. There was a massive bump in numbers. I think they reckon half of Americans were in church that Sunday. And why? Because their minds were turned to eternity. We were reminded of our mortality. But here's the problem. The the church attendance was up in September. It was still up a bit in October, but by the time November... 2001 came around, it was right back down to where it was before the attacks. Just about 1% rise, I think they reckon, overall. For most, the focus on eternity was short-lived. And the here and now crowded out what really mattered. I think that's why Jesus gives us the parable in in verse 6. He's trying to help us see that repentance isn't just a fleeting change of view. True repentance brings about lasting change. So look at verse 6 with me. We'll finish here. Verse 6. Then he, Jesus, told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard. And he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, 
For three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Did you hear the point of his parable? Unless you repent, you too will all perish. And what does repentance look like? Repentance looks like fruitfulness. Fruitfulness is Christ-likeness. It's love, it's joy, it's peace. It's patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That is Jesus. And the owner, the creator, he longs for his creation to be fruitful for you and me to be more like his son Jesus. You see, our Father God, he cares more about our godliness than he cares about our comfort. Actually, every parent knows that tension. child gets a graze, and you spray on the antiseptic spray, knowing it's going to sting, knowing it's going to hurt, but it's for their good. Or you allow the child to run off, to trip and fall, because... They will learn that your words, don't don't run, you'll hurt yourself. They'll learn that those words were for their good, not your good. God cares more about our godliness than he cares about our comfort. Which actually is funny because my guess is we pray far more about our comfort than we pray about our godliness. It's a brave prayer to pray. To ask Father God in in 2018, please make me more like Jesus. Whatever the cost, whatever the hardship, please make me more like Jesus. I long for that. Make me ready for an eternity with him. Because in the parable, sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig round it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Jesus is saying, it's about the now. Don't don't leave it for then. There's our fruitfulness, Christ-likeness now. Father God, in 2018, please make me more like Jesus, whatever the cost. You prepared to pray that? You don't want to pray it glibly. You read these words, you understand He may use great hardships to make us more like Jesus. But we can pray it with confidence. We can pray it knowing that right at the heart of the Christian faith is a God who takes pain and suffering and uses it for his eternal purposes. Because as his son spread out his arms upon a criminal's cross, Jesus' suffering was, was both a consequence of human sin and an act of God's but his suffering was because God cares more about our godliness than he cares about his son's comfort. And so we remember that suffering. It's a strange thing we're going to do now as we share bread and wine together. We're not going to hide away from that suffering. We're going to remember it and we're going to rejoice in it because Christ's suffering has prepared for us an eternity 
And that same God is still at work today through the hardships of our lives. Father God, in 2018, please make me more like Jesus. Whatever the cost, whatever the hardship, please make me like him. Are you prepared to pray that prayer? I'm going to suggest we, we have a moment of quiet um, and then we'll say some prayers together and um, we'll, we'll break bread, share wine. Be served here at the front. I won't come in any particular order. Just um, take your time to pray and if you're trusting in Jesus' death and resurrection, that death and resurrection that prepares us for an eternity, then come and receive bread and wine. Remember the sacrifice and the love. And the bread is gluten-free. The wine, um, the wine is alcoholic, but there's non-alcoholic wine at the table. Just, just head there and someone will happily serve you with alcohol-free wine. But let me give us a moment of quiet to respond to God in our hearts, and then I'll lead us in some prayers.